Isabel Brown is a political commentator, spokesperson for Turning Point USA, and author of the new book, Frontlines, Finding My Voice on American College Campus. You can buy it on isabel-brown.com and also find her on Instagram at theisabelbrown, where she posts her content as well as pictures of her corgi. Isabel, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. How are you? Doing great. Love the mention of my corgi. She's the best part of every day for me, and I'm so glad to be joining you today. Great. Yeah, it's freedom, guns, and corgis I get a lot from, <laughs> and of course, your content. And speaking of your content, something I noticed that you started recently, I think, was the Freedom Seed series, which is a series of short, like, informational political videos. And I wanted to jump right into some of those. Um, hate speech is one of the first topics I noticed, and that's something I'm very adamant about. I love free speech. I'm a, I wish we had it here where I was. And so I want to play this first video of yours and get you to expand on what exactly it is that you meant. Do we have that, Justin? Here's your daily freedom seed. Last month, I told you nearly half of Americans believe hate speech should be illegal. Good news for you, true hate speech is. We already have legal protections for true hate speech under law in the United States. American law limits our freedom of speech in nine different categories. Obscenity, fighting words, defamation, including libel and slander, which is when your words end up causing harm to someone else's reputation or livelihood. Child pornography, perjury or lying under oath, blackmail, incitement to imminent lawless action, true threats, and solicitations to commit crimes. When someone commits one of those nine actions, they are breaking the law and ultimately are eligible to be prosecuted and convicted of a crime. Hate speech under law is a protected form of speech, and we shouldn't classify any offensive language as criminal when my definition of offensive is probably dramatically different from yours. Now, Isabel, I think that should probably probably be shown in schools. I know um, far leftists would say that's evil propaganda to share that <laughs> knowledge with people. But why do you think that there's this uh, sort of a movement going on from young people where they think they should be able to be sheltered from mean words that or criticisms that they don't like? Ultimately, I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that in America, we are culturally being taught that we should always avoid talking about any subject that has a basis in values, especially if you think you're going to disagree with someone on those topics. So even around the dinner table with your immediate family, you are adamantly discouraged by our society to talk about both politics and religion and any other value system whatsoever. Essentially, that means that young people are showing up to their college campuses and they're being taught that free speech is a scary thing, that people disagreeing with you is going to cause you emotional harm at the very least and therefore should be banned. Things like, I love Donald Trump as president of the United States, or we need strong border security, are now being categorized as some sort of hateful language that's ultimately causing emotional harm to other people. That's what people my age like to call hate speech in the United States. Uh, but the reality is my definition of what's offensive is so much dramatically different from many of my peers, and it always depends on who's in charge and who is in power in politics and government to change that definition over and over and over again. Instead of limiting speech from other people that we disagree with, we should instead learn how to talk to each other about these things that we disagree with. And I think many people unfortunately don't know that restrictions on, on speech do already exist in the United States. There is a limit on what you can and cannot say, and that's never talked about on college campuses or in culture in our country. No, for sure. I agree with everything you said there. And is there a way 
that you can see? Other than you're doing your part, you're making these videos, I think they're good. Is there a way we can steer people away from this, uh, uh, don't talk about religion or politics, you're going you're gonna to come off as bad. Is there a way to ste steer people away from that notion? I think it really just starts with us being willing to take the first step in doing just that and having these very crucial conversations with our friends, our family members, our peers that we know disagree with us, our professors in class and anyone else you can think of in your life. In my own experiences, I've had so many productive conversations with people that I knew disagreed with me, but we took the time to be patient and respectful and kind and ask all the right questions of why I was coming from my perspective why they were coming from theirs and what we had in common at the end of the day. The truth is most of us agree on where we want to go as a country and even as a free world. We just disagree on how to get there. So if we can get over this cultural division that our political and cultural leaders are saying is so categorized in the United States, especially on college campuses and in entertainment, that's how we can discover that we can come together on most things. Now, did you see the, all the stuff around Piers Morgan and the Meghan Markle stuff? Are you privy to that knowledge? I sure did, yes. Now, why do you think that um, identity is brought up? Because I, I watched it the other day and Sharon Osbourne's defending him, saying he's not racist. Now all of a sudden she's racist, she has to apologize. Why, are, why is identity always used here? Is it a deflection to, from having to answer the actual questions and discover the actual truth? And that's just one example, but... Yeah, sadly, in 2021, everything makes you racist in one way or another. So everyone is learning that they have to apologize for things that they said, that they thought, that they didn't say, because as the left says in America, silence is violence, but speech is also violence. So exactly. be prepared to be apologizing for a lot of things in our woke culture today. I think this concept of identity really centers around the fact that the left loves to identify people as a group, not as an individual. And this pertains to a lot of their policies that they put into effect here in America and around the world as well. They're not interested in your individualism. And that's why free speech isn't important, why the American dream is considered dead from the political left today, why they're making it harder to get a job or start a business, but easier to be dependent on the government because it's much easier to identify you as a black American or a female American or some sort of minority group or even just as a whole, individuals who no longer are an individual, but instead are a group of people subservient to the role of the government from the federal level down. That group identity is largely highlighted in race above all else. And a lot of that has to do with our culture, uh, highlighting groups like the Black Lives Matter Incorporated movement and even Antifa spewing some of that information as well. But yeah, today the big buzzword is racism. And truthfully, everything has been labeled as racist from Dr. Seuss books to Piers Morgan's comments on Meghan Markle on international television. You're just so wise beyond your years, Isabel. I'm pretty sure you're actually 75 years old. Uh, stay <laughs> I tuned. would agree with that, actually. <laughs> stay tuned for your birth certificate to be revealed on the show. Um, gun rights is something else you talk about a lot, especially in these freedom seeds. I, I like that one as well. And, if you're not aware, we have no real gun rights in Canada. They're being taken away by name um, all the time. They, t they have a big list of banned guns that they add to all the time because they can't ban them from a functionality standpoint. 
because um, that wouldn't make any sense. So you come at it from another angle, though, that I don't think I see anybody, anybody talking about it in Canada. So let's show that clip, Justin, and I want to get uh, your explanation for that one as well. Freedom Seed. Gun rights are women's rights. It's a biological fact that men and women are built differently. Don't at me, leftists. It's the truth. On average, biological men have a greater height and muscle mass than women. So what happens when a large man tries to attack me, a five foot one woman? I'm tough, but I don't have a lot of options. Firearms can act as an important equalizer to give good women attacked by bad men the chance to defend themselves. It's no surprise then that women are the fastest growing demographic of gun owners. In fact, specifically women between the ages of 18 and 34 are the most likely to become gun owners. So what's the deal with women buying so many guns? Simple, for protection. A 2017 Pew Research study found that nearly 70% of female gun owners cite personal protection as their primary reason for owning a gun. A lot of hate speech in there as well, I gotta say. <laughs> um, so to play devil's advocate on that, what would you say um, is a stat or evidence showing that more women should be carrying for their own protection? Yeah, unfortunately, the data just isn't really out there when it comes to proving carrying every day can protect you. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that many of the instances where women do prove to defend themselves and protect themselves in situations of attack don't get reported when a firearm is being used. So I would direct people uh, who are listening to this program, maybe to the FBI. They have some great statistics on gun use and stories of gun use being used in defensive situations to save mm -hmm. someone's life. Uh, but the data is out there when it comes to the individual being a woman protecting themselves against a man. You know, I, I think it's sad today that gender is being so dramatically erased, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And at first, it was masculinity being attacked, that that was toxic and not supposed to be present in society. And today in 2021, it's femininity and women that are being attacked by our society and our culture. Instead, we're all just supposed to be non-binary, live outside of this male or female option uh, and somehow lie in the middle. You see women being spelled W-O-M-X-N <laughs> today in America because there are women who are not women apparently, which is very confusing. And the mental gymnastics associated with that is enough to tire out anybody, even if you do work in politics and have to deal with this stuff every day. Uh, but yeah, 70% of new gun owners who are women in America cite personal protection as their primary reason for wanting to purchase a firearm. That's a statistic that people should be paying attention to. Feminists, women's rights advocates, leftist groups and conservative groups alike. This is not a political issue. This is a human rights issue. And it makes me sick to my stomach every time I read another story of a young woman who went out for a job or who lives alone in her apartment and is taken advantage of because of the known factual biological differences between men and women. I have a concealed carry permit here in the United States and I do carry a personal firearm for protection. That's a decision that I made on my own, but I can tell you there are dozens of people in my own life, conservative and liberal alike, who have made the same decision. And I think when we can remove this political stigma associated with the Second Amendment, we know that this is a human rights problem, not just a political one. And the Second Amendment was created to allow for protection for all Americans, regardless of who you vote for. I think that's really cool, Isabel. And obviously, I think that the most obvious reason that you mentioned as a great equalizer would be sexual assault. Now, you're on college campuses. Uh, you're out there with uh, your 
uh, male counterpart, I'll call it Will Witt. You guys can just change genders now, I think. But when you're on college, <laughs> co when you're on college campuses and you're explaining this to uh, maybe girls, maybe boys as well, is there a common answer as to why th they shouldn't w get a gun? Because I think ingrained in them a lot of the times, especially in California, where I think you guys are both from, um, it, it's very anti-gun. And then even we've seen with incidents there in the no-gun zones, of course, there's the shooter there. Is there a common answer or excuse that is given as to why we no, we should still not allow guns to be uh, purchased? We still need uh, more restrictions. Is there something that you hear often? I'm actually from Colorado, which is another oh, state that has a complete assault on the Second Amendment and is really doing everything they can to prevent gun ownership as much as possible. But I've done a lot of work in California, and arguably they have some of the strictest gun control in the country when it comes to your ability to own the firearm of your choosing, to have extended magazines that have more than 10 bullets in them, uh, and obviously to exercise your right to carry, which is the natural progression of what happens after you buy a firearm. You want to have it with you all the time for personal protection. Uh, it's a dangerous situation when we're seeing this limitation of the ability of people to take care of themselves and defend themselves, especially on college campuses. And there's a very, very small number of states in America that allow for something called campus carry, meaning you can conceal carry a firearm on your college campus, public or private. Uh, obviously, some of those schools have different rules. But I was very fortunate in Colorado to have access to campus carry, and that was always one of my primary concerns was sexual assault. You see on college campuses in America, and I'm not sure if the same is true where you are from or in Europe or around the world, but we have little stations that have a blue call light. So mm -hmm. it's like a little blue light, and you call the police on this uh, phone pole, essentially, and then you wait at one of these stations if you find yourself in danger on campus. What I love to tell people is the reality is if you call the police from one of these stations, it's going to take several minutes, if not up to 10 or 15 minutes for the police to get there and diffuse whatever situation you feel uncomfortable in. When you have the ownership and the training and the proper responsibility under your belt to defend yourself, it takes two seconds instead of a few minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Uh, and you just have so much more control over the situation and you're empowered to deal with whatever you're dealing with in that moment rather than being completely reliant on someone else. I think the reasons for limiting gun, con gun ownership through gun control from the left all center around emotional arguments. There's not a lot of logic there, but they point towards school shootings, they point toward situations of negligent discharges from guns where people accidentally fired their gun when they weren't meaning to. Mm -hmm. And that is so unbelievably rare when you think about the gun ownership rate in the United States and how many people have access to a firearm all the time. The reality is if you have the right training, you're constantly practicing and you're taking ownership of your empowerment through owning a firearm, you are going to be so much better prepared to handle any emergency that you are a part of or that your family, friends and community might be a part of as well. So we try to break down the logical arguments there uh, and avoid some of these emotional conversations, which are tragic and harrowing but even those things could have prevented uh, themselves had there been a good guy with a gun who was well-trained and equipped to handle those situations. Yeah, and I think the knowledge of firearms is incredibly low 
amongst those who are against it. I mean, I wish I'd queued up the video here, but there's a, a, a clip of mine from when I first started doing streeters for Rebel News where I was asking people about an assault rifle ban and what was an assault rifle, none of them knew. Uh, one guy who really thought he knew uh, thought that the measurement was an assault rifle can shoot three to four blocks. I'd never heard that measurement uh, for bullet distance before. But the gun ban is gun specifically for assault weapons. Do you know what an assault rifle is? Yeah, assault rifle would be uh, sort of like a hunting rifle, long, and it'd be long range, like probably uh, four blocks. But that was that's the level of uh, of knowledge on guns from the anti-gun crowd. I think most people would understand that it's for self-protection, and we don't want to go too far. But then again, we don't have a constitution here that says we have the right. Um, whereas I wish we did. Some other video that I liked of yours was the Women's March of last year, and I have a lot of questions about how it would compare to 2021. Obviously, it didn't really happen this year, which is what we'll get to. So let's play that March, Women's March video from last year. I, I believe that women could do whatever they want, and they are not like less than men and like it really is a man's world and I feel like we should change that. It's like as a man what rights do I have that you don't have? Inherently men are still getting paid more. Yeah. Have you ever thought that maybe women choose jobs that pay less than men so then the wage gap reflects that they choose jobs that pay less? You know men mostly dominate like engineering and stuff like that that pays more. Now math and science is dominated with women but men are still getting the jobs because they're men. Your dog is very very sweet. Dogs for women's rights. <laughs> 2020 marks the year that there is less access to abortion clinics in America since 1978. Hateful, horrible things to continue. It's not just Trump, it's all the people that support him. This president is, is the worst of, of any human being. Now, as well, why no big march this year? Is it because there's no Trump? We've, we saw Black Lives Matter and all these other marches going on all summer long. Why nothing this year? Or was there one that I missed? I don't think there's one that you missed. Ultimately, I think most of this centers around all of the restrictions in these big cities that are run by Democrats when it comes to COVID-19 regulations. Big gatherings like this just aren't happening in 2021. The March for Life was largely online as well. So I think we're going to be seeing sort of a diminishment of these big marches and gatherings and protests throughout the next few months at the very least. But my hope is that they do come back because it is very enlightening <laughs> to speak to some of these people about why they're attending these marches, why they genuinely believe women have less rights than men in America and around the world. Obviously, there's zero evidence to back up their claims, and they're sort of just regurgitating talking points that they've heard from politicians or cultural figures. Uh, but it's important to have these conversations because you have to understand where the left is coming from in order to properly negate their arguments. So who do you think they would blame this time around? It's 2021, Joe Biden's the president. He won by 600 trillion votes, Isabel. Where does the set, where is, what is the thesis around any of these protests going to be? Because they've, for the large part, not been about what they say they about. March for your lives is march against Trump. Women's march is march against Trump with different hats on. Where are we going to place this blame? Is there a new talking point that I'm not familiar with? Incredibly, all of these marches and organizations are still anti-Trump, and he seems uh. to be living rent-free in the minds of leftists, <laughs> even as he's playing golf down in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. So I think at least for the next few months, they can probably get away with continuing to blame everything on our former president. 
But you're absolutely right. At some point, that's not a valid excuse anymore. And there needs to be an honest conversation about what they're upset about and who is responsible for those actions. Now, overall, I wanted to get to where you think a lot of these thoughts and uh, beliefs come from, but I do want to package it up with this next clip of yours, sort of along the same lines of, uh, of the whole gender argument here from the Women's March, and it's another great one from you guys, which is, who should pay for a date? I really enjoy this one. Can we play that one, please? I definitely hold doors, like, chivalry's not all the way dead. Do you think that the idea of traditional gender roles is still important in relationships? On occasion, but no, I think we're getting further and further away from that in today's society. It's more of a social thing and less of a gender thing because gender roles change per culture. I think the roles have definitely changed a little bit, but I think it's definitely important like to keep the main ones in place, such as the man opening the door for the girl. Would you ever propose to the man? I don't think so. I wouldn't care. Uh, if a woman proposed, but I, I, like I said, I, prob I would probably propose. Would you ever propose to a man? No. No. Good. Just because I feel like that's just the guy's role, you know? I 100% agree. I think marriage is outdated. I think that was something used back then to connect families and, you know, have peace among families. I don't really believe in marriage anymore. I just believe love the person that you're with. Marriage is about connecting families, Isabel. He's really taking the like 13th century approach to that. You send your princess across Europe to to another family. <laughs> they get married. They consummate it there. Where do you think that a lot of this uh, thinking is ingrained from? Because really, it's only popped up over the last 20 years. I want to say. Most of this completely centers around something I spoke about earlier on this podcast, and that's eliminating the idea of individuality and assigning everybody to a group. And we'll talk about the most extreme level of that right now, but I think these are all stepping stones to get to this end goal from the most progressive left in America. Black Lives Matter Inc. recently released a statement when they first popped up their new website last summer in 2020 that one of their primary goals as an organization was to completely get rid of the nuclear family in the United States and around the world. In their view, the nuclear family is this oppressive, patriarchal, capitalist engine in order to keep controlling people rather than all living harmoniously and doing whatever you want and you know, identifying yourself as a group and a community, living in a commune rather than a family. So their <laughs> goal was actually to completely get rid of the idea of mothers and fathers and instead have surrogate parents and the entire community raises a child with zero gender identity they can choose for themselves uh, and the, the whole nine yards of nonsense there. That is the end goal of the progressive left in America. So when it comes to degrading gender identity and gender roles, the things that we're seeing today getting rid of masculinity and femininity. California, for example, is getting rid of boys and girls sections in department stores or toy stores. No longer can you spell women with an E or men with an E. <laughs> Uh, we're getting to this point where we're not identified by our unique characteristics as individuals, myself being a biological woman and having the capacity to create life being one of the most important aspects of my identity. But instead, we're all just people. It's kept generic on purpose because they want to keep the human population as generic as possible in order to be subservient to one overarching power, that being the government. So ultimately, I think this assault on marriage is really connected to getting rid of the nuclear family and ultimately getting rid of your unique individual or familial identity to begin with. Now, Isabel, on more of a personal level, um, you're out there, you're with the most masculine guy ever, Will Witt. Shout out to <laughs> Will Witt. You, you're interviewing these people in California and maybe there's a bit of it in Colorado like you mentioned, but 
having been in these conservative circles, and you probably are friends with a lot of uh, more, of let's call it traditional gender roles, even though I think that would just be normal. Um, are you seeing a lot of this from men you interact with, from girls you interact with? Because I watched something from California, like um, something I had written down was Logan Paul versus Caitlin Bennett. And all the guys on this show, it's pretty obvious they're from California and grew up there. They're offended by any little nugget of, of truth that she says that isn't completely progressive. They're shocked to hear even the notion of anything. Uh, I'm afraid to say these things on YouTube because I'll get taken down. Do you notice yeah. it in your day-to-day -day life and your interactions with people? I don't see it as much now that I've graduated from my undergraduate and graduate school programs on my college campuses. I see it obviously when I travel to speak to student groups at their universities, but a lot of this follows political lines and the different political ideologies in America. The left overwhelmingly is leaning into this woke culture as much as humanly possible, uh, afraid to offend anybody. And that's where you're seeing all these problems of pronouns, signs outside of bathrooms, and things like the Equality Act going through our United States Congress that passed completely along party lines in the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Whereas conservatives, amazingly, are becoming countercultural in an unexpected way by embracing traditional gender roles, getting married very young and having lots and lots of children and overwhelmingly returning to the church in America, which is a very interesting phenomenon I don't think we could have predicted even just a few years ago. If you engage in the most progressive aspects of culture, social media, large corporations, college campuses, that's where you're seeing a lot of this insane culture start to generate and then spread throughout the United States of America. So it's definitely out there, but doing what I do as an outspoken conservative and mostly uh, engaging with people who I agree with every day, I don't see a lot of it in my own social circles. Well, I'm glad that you managed to escape. I work in Toronto, in, here in Canada. It's impossible to escape it just walking around. Guy on his bike riding, riding a bike, wearing a mask, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about your book. It's called Frontlines, Finding My Voice as an American on an American college campus paperback. I'll say it properly for you guys. Frontlines, <laughs> Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. Um, it's available on your website and I believe on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. What inspired the books? Uh, what inspired the book, particularly in the sense that, um, I, I'm curious to know what really opened your eyes or have you always been conservative? I have always been conservative, but politics was never something that I wanted to engage in professionally. It was always just a personal hobby for me uh, when I was a younger child and in high school. I actually went to college to become a doctor. My dream was to be a trauma surgeon and I studied biomedical sciences at the large research university in my home state of Colorado at Colorado State University, which is pretty notorious in my home state for being the big cowboy agricultural public <laughs> school, a very conservative environment and somewhere I expected to really find a community of people that shared my foundational values. Obviously, I wrote the whole book on how the opposite of that happened. And I found myself in this extreme intolerant leftist environment that was hellbent on indoctrinating students towards leftism rather than educating young adults to become progressive and effective members of society, progressive in the true sense, not the leftist political version that we see today. So even in my classes like anatomy and physics and organic chemistry, I was being taught that yes, there's two sets of chromosomes, but gender is actually a social construct. So forget everything we said. And we would refer to a baby in the womb as a baby through the whole process 
of learning about fetal development, when a heartbeat is formed, when unique fingerprints are formed, only to be told at the end of the unit that that actually was a fetus and termination of a pregnancy had nothing to do with ending a unique biological life. We spent a lot of time, even in those classes, talking about why free speech is no longer applicable to American <laughs> culture or why we don't need a wall at the southern border and especially how evil the orange guy was sitting in our Oval Office. And it was so shocking to me as someone who chose science because I love the pursuit of objective truth that science in academia today is not driven by that pursuit of truth. It's driven by the changing narrative of our political correctness culture that we see every single day in the United States of America. I became a very outspoken conservative as a result of the extreme leftist environment on my campus because I looked around and I didn't see anybody advocating for the values that I held closest to my heart. So I thought, I'll just have to do it. And I instantly became labeled as that conservative girl or that Turning Point USA girl on campus, got death threats, threats of violence. My address to my one bedroom apartment was doxxed online without my consent. So all of a sudden, nowhere in my college community was safe, not my classroom, not the student government office where I was referred to as Nazi Barbie or white uh, power Barbie very original. and not even my apartment right off campus. So it was so eye opening to see how far the left would go to silence not just conservative ideas, but even objective truth in the name of indoctrinating people toward leftism. I wrote this book because it became so apparent to me that we're hearing a lot about how crazy college campuses are when someone like Dennis Prager or Charlie Kirk comes to speak on a campus and there's a big protest. But nobody knew that myself as a campus student activist without a big following on social media would be threatened with a failing grade in a class six months later because I had invited them or people trying to kick me out of student government because I had voted for President Donald Trump. And this assault on conservative students is happening every single day. They're just not stories that make it to the national conversation, but they are stories that are worth being told. Uh, and I hope to inspire a lot more of that storytelling through revealing what happened in my own college experience and also covering the state of affairs on our campuses today through my book, Frontlines. It's not easy to write a book and it takes a lot of courage to and, and building up your inner self to come out and be the person who's willing to speak, especially against all the stuff that you've uh, come up against, which of course is horrible. We're gonna end the YouTube segment there, Isabel. So if you guys wanna see the rest of the interview, go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's just $8 a month. Or if you sign up for a year, you get two months free, plus a free trial. So we're gonna send that to Isabel right after because I know she's gonna sign up rebelnewsplus.com. And what are we going to talk about for you guys to go and watch it? We're going to talk about what's inside Isabel's DMs. Is she getting hate speech at her every <laughs> single day? We're going to find out her message to women at the women's, um, the, the women, uh, I'm forgetting the thing here. What's it called? Uh, Young Women's Leadership Summit coming up in June. <laughs> I should really re-record uh, re that segment now. And we're going to talk about um, the anniversary of Stop the Spread. So all that is coming up Behind the paywall, go to rebelnews.com, you guys. Okay, now hopefully, Isabel, I won't fumble my words this time, even though we're in the safety of behind our own paywall. I saw a video of yours um, for the anniversary of Stop the Spread on Twitter. I thought it was funny, if not sad. So let's show that, and uh, I want to talk a bit more about that. It's March of 2021, and you know what that means. Happy one year anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. What began as a call to action for all of us to ensure that we could stay healthy during the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic 
has evolved and changed into complete political control at all levels of government. As someone educated in the biomedical sciences and public health fields myself, it's been baffling for me to see the constantly changing goalposts of what public health programming is supposed to be achieving today. Everyone has a different rule for how we should emerge from this pandemic and get back to a new normal. That word is important, by the way, new. It's not a return to the way life was before. And it's precisely this reality that politicians want you to understand. We're not going back to normal. We're crafting a new normal. Now, I feel like this is stuff that I've been saying. This is probably why I enjoyed the video so much. What do you think is the real reason for the prolonged lockdowns at this point? Truthfully, this all boils down to political control. And what we've seen in the last year or so has not really been about spreading the sp or stopping the spread or slowing the spread of this particular virus, but harnessing the fear of individuals to implement leftist policies at every level of government, local government, state government, and the federal government. I personally was studying biomedical sciences, policy and advocacy, essentially how the government regulates stuff like pandemics. Last year, as COVID-19 became a pandemic during my master's degree program at Georgetown University, and to hear the changing opinions of my professors, who by the way, are the top of the top people at the World Health Organization and the CDC here in America, as the changing political narrative was taking place last spring was so disheartening. In January of 2020, I was reminded that our world has never done mass lockdowns because they don't work and the data is not there to support slowing the spread of any virus by forcing people to be locked in their homes. We were reminded that the average mask people would ordinarily wear, surgical or made out of a t-shirt material or a bandana, will do nothing to stop a particular virus that's only a few microns big, incredibly microscopic and could pass right through that material, but will trap bacteria close to your face and make you sick with other diseases like bacterial pneumonia. And then all of a sudden, all of those experts started going along with what was politically correct, shutting down debate on what medicine is effective to treat COVID-19. Obviously, we all saw that Facebook has now retracted their comments on hydroxychloroquine and has reinstated all of those posts months later after they completely destroyed people's livelihoods. All of them are now saying you have to triple layer your masks or wear two or three masks all of it at a time and that these lockdowns are continuing to be very important even when we haven't really seen spike in disease spread when some of these states or other countries around the world are choosing to open up. Science, as I said before, is not really about the pursuit of objective truth anymore in academia and after we graduate in the real world. And the truth, there's not a lot of scientists making these calls about continued lockdowns. It's all coming from politicians. I completely agree. I think this is one of the last bastions that people have to be red-pilled on, for lack of a better term. I mean, the medical field, the, the idea of medical expert has now been blown completely out of the water. It's a shame. We should be able to... Uh, to trust these people and like you said it's changing people just can't help they have to speak up as well they have to say what's right they have to orange man bad and everything <laughs> has to be along a partisan line now along what you're saying do you think that's why we're it, it seems like Joe Biden's ignoring that there's a bunch of states open how many is it now over 13 UFC just announced they're going full capacity in Florida which of course I'm a big fan of are we just pretending that Texas, uh, Florida, Arizona, the Dakotas, that, that they're not open and that everybody else still needs to lock down? 
I think it's convenient for our politicians at the national level to just turn a blind eye towards what a lot of these states are choosing to do. South Dakota was the only state out of all 50 that never shut down, and they never even came close to CDC projections of what it could look like in their hospitals should things take a turn for the worst. When you compare the three largest states, well, the four largest states by population in the United States, Texas, Florida, California, and New York, and you see the dramatically different responses of California and New York versus Texas and Florida, you're seeing much higher death tolls and a faster spread of the virus in California and New York who have the most extreme regulations possible. In LA, for example, it was illegal for you to walk alone on the sidewalk with a mask on outside at one point. And in New York, things Very just reasonable. shut down again a little bit. Uh, because of the St. Patrick's Day holiday and a fear that people will gather. So you're still forbidden from gathering in groups of more than 10 people in the state of New York. Yet, of course, we saw the nursing home scandal unfold and tens of thousands of people die because of poor management. Meanwhile, in Florida and Texas, there's no mask mandate. You're going back to full capacity for sports events. Businesses and restaurants are encouraged to be open and schools have returned largely to normal. And they have significantly lower death rates and spread of the virus rates compared to New York and California. The data is right in front of us, but of course the people who want to get us back to normal are the bad guys who don't mm -hmm. care about your grandma and grandpa and want everybody to die from COVID-19. Well, Joe Biden says, if you're lucky, you'll be able to barbecue. You know, if you just submit and obey, submit to the guy in New York who has the nipple rings on TV. I think that's <laughs> always a good decision to go with. Now, I want to transition. That's a great transition to the Women's Leadership Summit that you saved me from drawing a blank on. We'll edit that out. Don't worry. Um, what kind of messaging do you think is important to give young women um, going forward in 2021? What do you think? What are you going to say? Give away your whole speech right now. <laughs> well, I haven't written the whole speech okay. right now yet for our June conference, but the Young Women's Leadership Summit with Turning Point USA was my first political event ever when I was a college student. At the time, I had no idea what Turning Point USA was all about, and I really knew very little about what we call the conservative movement that's much more cultural than it is political today. And in 2017, at this very conference, I completely fell head over heels in love with the messaging that's being shared with young women in particular. And I'm hoping to reinstate some of those points this year in 2021 as we return to events and conferences and rejoining together in person. I think the most important message that can be shared with high school and college women who are conservative or who maybe are on the fence about being conservative is that you don't need any permission from anyone, the government, your boyfriend, a friend, uh, anyone else in your life to be successful and to build your American dream into whatever you can possibly dream of. All you need is your own grit and determination and diligence to continue getting up and working hard. The left is continuously telling women that they're always disadvantaged, that they make less money in the workplace, which, by the way, has been debunked over and over again and is illegal under federal law because of the Equal Pay Act, which was passed and turned into law decades ago in the United States. They're told that it's harder for them to go out and have a night out in town with their friends because they always have to be worried about a nefarious bad guy uh, out there. And a lot of those things are rooted in some truth historically. But really today, women can do anything they set their mind to. They're not disadvantaged in society. They're not constantly oppressed by some evil conservative figure. Instead, today, it's never been easier and better and more exciting to be a woman in the United States of America or around the world. So I think we really want to share this message of personal empowerment 
and finding that passion from within yourself to inspire other people rather than waiting on somebody else to do it first uh, and tell you that it's finally allowed to happen or you're finally able to do these things when it's able to be done right now, right in front of your eyes. I will say one more thing very quickly, and that's that I was doing a radio interview just after the election results were finalized when Joe Biden became the next president of the United States and Kamala Harris became our vice president. And I heard a conservative woman who worked for the Bush administration say on radio here in the United States that it's impossible to be something you can't see in the United States. Mm. So Kamala Harris becoming our first female vice president all of a sudden makes it possible for other women to become vice president or president of the United States in the future because somebody else finally did it first. What a degrading message to women to assume that somebody else has to be successful before you, that you have to wait for permission in history to accomplish anything you can set your mind to. As conservatives, true conservatives, we believe that anyone can do anything they set their mind to here in the United States, regardless of what your identity is. Yeah, and she's the first black, she's the first Indian, she's the first a lot of things no matter what it is and I disagree with that argument as well. The just because some somebody has to look like me in order for me to aspire to that. I didn't grow up thinking that way, I didn't grow up uh, watching basketball thinking that Vince, if only Vince Carter was white, um, that might be too too old of a reference for you. If only <laughs> Will Smith was white. I never thought these things, hopefully somebody doesn't clip that, but I do want to write down, hire Isabel to speak to my nieces. Because I think you're very, <laughs> I think those are great things to say. Now, do you think that five years ago, let's say pre-Trump, your message would have been different? Do you think now it's more of a, of a victim stance we have to battle back from? Or do you think it would largely be the same? I think it would be exactly the same message. People have always said that women are somehow disadvantaged in society from when I was a young girl all the way to now when I'm 23 years old. And it was very different, at least in my family unit when I was growing up, than what this narrative was saying. I grew up with my mother being the primary breadwinner in our house, commuting to a different state for her job for seven years. My dad stayed home for a few years to be a stay-at-home dad. We called him the Manny, and he got to be a <laughs> That's a movie, I believe. Because <laughs> exactly. He took us to ballet lessons and gymnastics meets, and he got to be our room parent in our classroom. And I never was told by my mother, by my father, or any other adult in my life that that was somehow not normal. Instead, it was just the way things were in our family. And my mom could accomplish anything that any of her male counterparts could in the workplace if only she was willing to work hard enough. That's always been reality for me, and that message has stayed the same ever since I could talk and what I learned about all of this stuff looking like as a young child and today obviously as an adult. Who knew that Mrs. Doubtfire was based off your life? That's something that we're gonna have to add to your IMDB. Do you have an IMDB? I, I, don't, I wouldn't think that you do. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna end on something more fun or maybe it's traumatic for you. What your inbox looks like. Uh, do you get tips? I get all, all I get is news links. Have you seen this, Andrew? It's Alex Jones messaging me. Have you seen this, Andrew? Have you seen this patriotic link? I get mostly news links. What do you get in your inbox uh, from fans, let's say, not just uh, Will Witt's messages? It's a whole hodgepodge of information in my DMs all the time. But I do always encourage people who follow me, if they're ever looking for advice or have a specific question, to DM me. So most of my messages do look like that. I'm very responsive on Instagram. And I just love connecting with people one-on-one -on -one as much as possible, especially now when that's sort of prevented in person still a year later after that became our new reality. So as much as I can connect with you guys digitally, I love to. 
obviously I get a lot of hate mail as well. I'm choosing to do this professionally and that kind of comes with the territory. Uh, but I always love to tell people, I typically take that as a sign that I'm doing something right. Because as a Christian, I've been told over and over in my faith from the words of Jesus Christ himself that I'm going to be hated in this world if I tell the truth. That's really what my job is all about every day. It's not just sharing conservative messaging or trying to influence the way people vote. I'm trying to say objective truth in a world that has completely rejected the idea that objective truth even exists because my truth mm -hmm. is different from your truth. So when I get such hateful messages, I know that I'm trying to make this world a little bit more like the next. I'm not trying to fit into the changing reality every day that we see in this world. For sure, and I think especially right now, it's very important important for high schoolers and people in college since it's become more like a high school environment in college that they have somebody who is confident and knows what they're talking about that they can message and actually get a response to. I mean, you don't respond to my outfit messages where I show you my <laughs> outfit of the day, but that's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Those don't exist. Or do they? Um, <laughs> but thank you. I do. I really think it's important to have a person that they can turn to in these times. So isabel-brown.com you can get her book there you can find her on instagram which is the real isabel brown and of course turning point usa are you still working with prager U? are we still going to see you on those videos i do occasionally do some work okay. with prager U, so i'm never too far away from the office there in los angeles okay lots of uh, cameos there anything else you want to end on isabel i'll leave the floor to you uh, you know, I just want to encourage people from around the world that conservatism is needed everywhere, not just in the United States. And obviously, most of the work that I do is here domestically for me in the U.S., but conservative ideas are resurging all over the world, in Canada, in the U.K., in all across Europe, in uh, Australia, and South Africa. And I get messages from people from countries everywhere that I would least expect some of these conservative ideas to be reaching people through social media or through work and education but we need loud conservative fighters everywhere. So embrace just five seconds of courage at a time. Raise your hand in class and tell your teacher or professor that they're wrong if they are. Post something to your social media. Have these conversations about politics and religion with your family or your friends around the dinner table. That's how we create a cultural revolution all over the world when it comes to being proud of where we're from, embracing patriotism, believing in ourselves as individuals, and ultimately saying that big government sucks. <laughs> That's a great note to end on. But I did want to ask you, it just popped into my mind, do you, is there any work towards um, your the videos that you're making actually being implemented in schools or anything like that? Because I've seen articles about people uh, trying to stop that from happening. I just want to know, because I think those Freedom Seed things would be good in like a high school class. Is there any working towards that? We have not yet embarked on that adventure. We're only a few months <laughs> into getting these videos out there, but they are working very well. So I'm sure that is part of our rollout plan for the next few months. Okay, thanks a lot, Isabel. Once again, follow her on Instagram, Twitter, isabelbrown.com, you guys. Awesome, thank you. Thank you.